Welcome back to episode number 116 of the NP Dude. This is Jeff the NP Dude, giving nurse practitioners a voice. That's everyone's voice, so please email me. Let me know what's going on with you guys. I gotta know what's bugging you. Email me at jeff at the npdude.com. That's all you gotta do. You can catch me on Facebook. I just had, I don't know, a couple more people that were uh, my new best friends on Facebook. One sent me a nice uh, message, so I'm gonna go through that one today and try to clear some things up. Some legal stuff about companies, and um, she had some good comments there. She got some issues. I'm gonna try to help her out. Uh, I can't help people as far as advice. I'm giving you information so that you can become educated, and then when you talk to your professional, as far as an attorney or a CPA, then you can have some more intelligent questions to ask, so that way you can help drive the uh, discussion instead of them driving it. Because if they're driving it, they're gonna drive slow, and you're gonna pay more money. So the faster you drive, less money you waste. There you go. Um, 2050-something. Still in the 2050s. 2058, I think. Uh, Facebook likes. Sorry, I'm doing the uh, housekeeping, people. Skip it if you want. Um, Chronic contractible shirts. Uh, Got one email from somebody saying that they got it and they liked it. So, cool. Keep listening. Uh, Wear your shirt loudly and proudly. Tell people who we are and uh, what we're doing as a community here. trying Trying to engage nurse practitioners and nurses to understand what the hell we're doing so that uh, we don't get in trouble. iTunes likes, uh, I got another one, I don't know what it is. I didn't go read it yet. It could be a two, it could be a one, I have no idea. I don't know. But give me those ratings, guys. Keep them coming. Let me know if it's a if it's a negative rating or a not so favorable rating, I should say. Then uh, just give me a heads up. Why? That's all. I don't care. I Rate me what you want me. Tell me the reason, though. Just so that way another people would want to know, too. Because if, you know, your, your reason is, you know, Jeff swears, then, uh, Maybe that's a one for you, and I'm cool with that. But if um, you know somebody doesn't care if I swear, that might not be a one. They still might think it's a four or a three. I'm okay with it. The um, Amazon affiliate link. You guys can help support the show by using the Amazon affiliate link. How do you do it? You go to my website, you iTunes listeners, you out there that want to support the show, new Chronic Intractables. Chronic Intractables are my supporters of the show, so that's the nickname. That's what we call them. That's what you call yourself. And um, if you're listening to the show, more than a handful of shows, I'm going to call you a chronic contractable. If you email me or give me information, you're a chronic contractable. You should be wearing one of my shirts. So how do you do that, too? We'll get into it in a second. But uh, if you're on iTunes and you want to help support the show, you go to my website, thenpdude.com. You go to the Amazon banner. You click on the link. It takes you to Amazon. You do the purchasing. You otherwise, what if it does not cost you a single dime, penny, nickel, more than what you would have spent? I promise you. If you don't trust me, but you still want to support the show and you think, oh, Jeff, this is a gig. Jeff's getting something here out of this. Go check the price. Just straight to Amazon on what you want to buy. Then go through my link and get the same exact item. It's the same exact price. I've checked it multiple times. And I've never had anybody say that they, that it does it different. So it doesn't cost you anything more. All it does is it takes a little bit more time. you got to go to my website to get to Amazon first. And then it takes you there. You do your shopping kicks me back a couple percent. I'm still needing a couple more bucks to get me to uh, pay for web hosting for next year. So if you like what you hear and you want to support the show and you want to help keep this thing going, I need you guys to help me. So go to Amazon and do that. You can also use the donate button if you think the show's worth a buck or two or 10 or 20. I don't care. Whatever you think it's worth, you can use the donate button. It kicks me uh, straight through PayPal. So you have to have a PayPal can established and do that. If you want to purchase a chronic contractible shirt, which I think is really cool. I like them. My kids are wearing them a lot and they like them. So that makes me happy. The um, price is 25 bucks. I need your name, your 
um, home address or mailing address. I don't care if it's your home address. Wherever you want me to ship the thing so you can get it. And your size. They're all like uh, just uh, regular t-shirt sizes. There's not female cut or anything like that. Just regular old t-shirt. The more I do with this, the more expensive it gets, the less... the less I can do of it, so that that's one of the reasons I'm not doing the female size, if you really are hankering for a female cut shirt, I don't care, let me know and I'll see what I can do, but um, the order will be placed probably in the next couple weeks, so if you're interested in a shirt, email me, that's the best way to get me, do I need to give you my email again, you bet I do, jeff at the npdude.com, that's how you get me, so I get this, this PM through Facebook, <clears throat> personal message through me, like um, through my personal page is what I mean. Somebody in California, so I'm going to use California only because California is wonky with their laws. So is New York. They're usually like one off from what everybody else in the country is doing. And um, the solicitor says, you know, I listened to your podcast about the S Corp versus the LLC, and you know, which should I go with, the Corp versus the LLC? And this individual has a uh, a nurse practitioner business that they do. I believe it's an NP pro, uh, practice. I'm, they, they have a company, whatever. It doesn't really matter what the service is that you provide at this point in the discussion. But we're going to assume it's a nurse practitioner and doing home health or something like that. And they said, well, I was an S-Corp in uh, California, and, and um, you said that the pass-through taxation exists for for my S-Corp, and that's not true. I have I get taxed. Well, S, the pass-through taxation is a federal thing. Your wonky state, most states will still allow a pass-through taxation at the state level. Some other states don't. California's in dire straits financially, so they're dinging everybody any way they can. So I think this is a weird exception to the rule, or one of the exceptions. I heard somebody say in Texas that they get dinged for it too. So it just depends on what your state wants to do and whether they want to tax you or not in a different form than what other states are doing. So you have to look state-dependent. That's why an accountant is always good when you're doing setting up setting up a, a a practice or a business because you want to know what your state level tax implications are because it might be more to do this as an S corp versus an LLC. So the the question then stems I'm I'm uh just doing home health assessments or something like that and I'm getting paid as a 1099, do I need an LLC or something to protect me? Do I keep running it through my S corp? to protect me from liability and and my answer is it's smarter to do that and I'll explain why in a minute the um, well I'll just do it now if you are a individual that is a sole proprietor sole proprietor means you're, you're just bumping around in life doing your thing and you do services for people they give you cash and you put it in your bank account or in your pocket and spend it that's that's a sole proprietor that income from a tax standpoint is just pass. It's yours. Whatever you bring in, you have to pay taxes on. You have to claim it and pay taxes. It's under Section 61A of the, the IRS code. It's a taxable income. There's a, it's a huge section. Trust me, it's a huge section of all the things that are considered to be taxable income, including services. So, if, you know, I trade services with somebody. Somebody fixes my roof and I treat their kid, which is... It raises a whole bunch of other problems, but let's just say that that's legal and there's no problems with it. From a tax standpoint, the value of the service that, that I rendered to that guy, he would have to claim on his taxes. And then the value of services that he that he rendered to me, so, you know, say it was $1,000 to fix my roof, 
well, that, that right there is the value that I would have paid. That's what the IRS is going to tax me that as income. It was given to me as a trading and services. Now, if it was a gift or just somebody just helping me out, that's how do you prove it, right? But from, the, from a tax code standpoint, it's income. You have to claim all your income, by the way. You can screw around with your deductions, but you have to claim your income. When I was taking tax on in law school, the instructor was an IRS attorney for like 20 years. And she would laugh and she said, you know what, the, the way that you look at your tax filing is this. As long as you claim all of your, and this is not advice, this I'm just repeating the story. If you claim all of your income properly and document it well, and then you start taking liberties with your deductions, you know, let's put to a deduction here and that deduction there, and then, you know, let's just, let's just, the way that she looked at it from companies, big companies, is that your first time you file your tax return is your your opening offer to the IRS is the way they look at it. So as far as that's the way they used to look at it, according to this lady. So it's like an opening bid. It's like you know, yeah, I claimed all my income. That's good. I didn't I didn't file any of the rules. Now it's just you know, eh, here's what I think all my deductions should be, and they throw everything in the kitchen sink in their deductions, all the expenses and stuff, and they write off all this crap. And then they, the the IRS agents will say, no, you can't write that off. No, you can't write that off. But that that is not a tax code violation. That doesn't cause penalties. It just causes more paperwork for you. But some big companies out there that they may make a lot of money if they throw a ton of deductions in. They may get their taxable income as a corporation way down. So I'm not saying you do that. You talk to your your IRS or your tax attorney or your accountant, and you go from there. But but I always thought it was funny that that's the way an IRS, the IRS actually looked at it. I thought they were more impressive than that, and I think they are. But that was the way she looked at it as an attorney working for them. Sorry, side note. Just I just had a memory and <laughs> wanted to share. So that's what I'm doing. The um, the deal that, that you're you're getting nailed twice is that with with an S corp, it's supposed to be from a federal standpoint passed through taxation the same way as an LLC or an LLP, which is a limited liability partnership. Anything that's 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 those newer uh, organizational structures from a federal standpoint have passed through taxation, so you don't get double dipped on. Double, to pass through taxation, for those of you that don't know, is this. If I work as a company and I own a company, and I'm an LLC, limited liability company, any money the liability the, the limited liability company makes, at the end of the year, you know, you pay all your expenses, you pay employees, you pay for stuff that you need, anything, you know, upgrades or improvements or equipment, stuff like that, that's appropriately you know, written off, so you have to depreciate it properly. You can't just, you know, write the whole thing off. But you properly do all your accounting, and you know you make ten grand cash after all that, including your salary. That extra ten grand that the company has left over in the account passes through to you or the owners, whoever the owners are. We'll just assume it's one owner for now, but it goes to the owners by a percentage of share of ownership. This guy, come on, dude, go! Oh, you suck! Screw you! going. I'm not waiting for you, buddy. So, um, it goes by, by, you know, percentage ownership, you get your share and then it goes to you individually. So if you, you, you and a partner, um, have day, day jobs and you have a night, you know, a side gig LLC, you know, making widgets in your basement, doesn't matter what it is. And you both make five grand, but you make a hundred thousand dollars a year and your buddy only makes five grand a year. Plus the five grand you made through the company 
he's only going to get taxed on $10,000, which means he's not going to get taxed, and you're going to get taxed on $105,000 at your tax bracket, whatever that is for that. So it passes through to you individually. Now in the States, like I said, the pass-through doesn't necessarily happen, or they add in like a, a, a corporate tax that's that's state-dependent based upon the, the sheer fact that you run a corporation. Any profit that that corporation has on your Schedule C gets taxed, and then it passes through to you for federal government purposes. And then you would pay tax on whatever that money is again, which kind of sucks. That's the whole point between an S-Corp in the first place. I was giving the intent of the why the S-Corp established, not the, the stupid reasons that states are trying to get money because they're underfunded and bloated and they can't operate all the crap that they're supposed to, they say they're supposed to be doing. So yes, an S-Corp may be more expensive for you than an LLC in your state, but that's a state-dependent thing, not a federal thing. So what do you do? You go to your tax attorney or your accountant and you say, what would be cheaper if I made $5,000 extra at the end of the year in my LLC versus an S-Corp? And they would run the numbers and they would tell you that an S-Corp may or may not be more or less expensive than an LLC. That's what you do. That's why you get a tax attorney or an accountant. They run the numbers for you and they see which way to go. And one guy say, oh, I switch, you know, every other couple of years I switch based upon whatever the tax code is going to do to me. Well, okay, that, that might be okay, but that might be expensive for you. Now, here's what you could do. You could set up an LLC and an S-Corp and you can have two parallel two parallel, parallel organizations. And at the end of the year, if you pay tax on that money, that money's yours. Suck, suck the money out, pay yourself that take the account down to 50 bucks or whatever to keep the account open and then you have your LLC you do business the next year in your LLC that's cheaper do that for a couple years until it becomes cheaper to do the S Corp switch back and forth you can set up two companies and run two different companies parallel and when, it ta- when it's not advantageous you don't use the one if there's no income or no, no books no money changing through that organization there's no tax filing for it everything's zero there's no reason to provide it the government doesn't even want to see it it's just, just fluff in your paperwork because there's a trail. If you did something, then you got to actually do the forms and you, you got to pay the piper. So I would say, <laughs> go to your tax attorney or your accountant and find out what's cheaper for you. And, and I don't know if an LLC is cheaper in, in California than in, than an S-Corp. But from a federal standpoint, they're both the same. Exactly the same. They both pass right through to you. The, um, the other issue was, why would you even remotely want to do this because from a professional liability standpoint you still have professional liability as you and that's true that's true but here's what it would do the the reason I would still if if I were to go out tomorrow and say you know what I'm going to go and do in-home you know care and I and I got a collaborative set up and everything's in place what I would do is I would do an LLC just because that's more advantageous to me. It's easier. I'm familiar with them. The filings are cheap, and it's really well accepted, and there's no real major tax consequences in Ohio. So that's just what I would do in Ohio. But an S-Corp would be fine, too. It really would. It's just more of a headache of, of operation because you file as a corp for your um, state secretary, secretary of state. Your tax filing is the S-Corp. You're still just a corporation. 
there's no S corp as a as a filing structure other than for tax purposes. Just again to reiterate that because I see people say that wrong all the time, and it's obvious you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I'm an S corp. Well, you're an S corp for tax purposes. You're still just a corporation. That's a tax designation. The the um, the reason I would do it though is this: if I was doing any of my business, and my malpractice insurance would have gaps in my insurance as a possibility. The, there, well, there's multiple reasons I would do it. But we'll start with the liability aspect. From a liability standpoint, if something happens, let's say malpractice-wise, I you know I hurt somebody on accident, wrong medicine, hurt somebody, they, they sue me. I have malpractice insurance to cover me, cover me for that, and they can still sue me personally anyway. So it doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense from a malpractice standpoint, but you're operating this, this organization as an entity. You, this, this, is a, this is really a business that you're doing. And so you would kind of want to have books separate so that you can prove to a bank that you're a real entity. You're not just some, you know, fly-by-nighter that's, you know, sucking all the profits out and, you know, that you're trying to grow this thing and make it make it an established organization. That's one reason, is that you would want to look like it because people will take it more seriously. And that goes for banks. If you need to get a loan, small business administration has SBA loans that, you know, you might be able to be qualified for. And uh, not that you wouldn't have to give a personal guarantee for that loan, but, but you could still be an entity that's that's taken seriously so and, and that's that's why i would want to do it it's only like 125 bucks in ohio or 150 bucks to file so it's not real expensive the other reason is if i'm doing something that's not medicine related or healthcare related but i accidentally accidentally hurt somebody my general liability policy is there and there's a dispute as to whether they're going to cover it and they say well the llc you're acting on behalf of the llc as an agent of the LLC, that's fine. And somebody's finger got smashed in the doorway because the door broke and your general liability policy for some reason isn't going to cover it. I don't know why, but let's just say they don't. Maybe you missed your last payment. You thought you were paid up and you didn't have general liability policy, something like that. You screwed up. Well, if it's you individually, they can come after your house, your car, your you know bank accounts, all that check, your checkbook. They can attach that stuff Maybe not your house. You gotta be careful. But, but some states maybe um, they can attach personal liability to you and take your assets, or at least put liens on them, so that when you sell them, they get some money for their judgment against you. That's not cool. <laughs> you don't want that. If you have an LLC or a corp, the whole idea is that it limits the liability to the to the corporation. It that doesn't like the tax how it passes through to you. The liability stops. It's a giant shield that protects you. So if somebody snaps their fingers off in your door and you and you don't happen to have your malpractice pol- or your general liability policy covered and paid up and you you uh, you get sued they, they they can only touch the assets of the LLC and they can't come after your personal bank account your IRA IRAs and 401ks and you know attach your house lien or you know any of this kind of stuff so that would that's a, just a layer of protection that's for only 125 bucks. You bet your bippy I'm going to do that. Of course I'm going to do that. And then then you have to do the actual action of keeping it a separate entity from you so that they can't pierce the corporate veil. We've mentioned that before. But but the idea is that you you keep everything separate. The books are separate. The, the assets are separate. You don't commingle funds. You don't commingle assets. If you give money to the company, you can do that. It's a capital contribution. You put it down like that in the ledger. That ten thousand dollars 
from so-and-so capital contribution right on your ledger. And now you've got assets in the company. It's not taxable to the company because it passes through to you anyways, so it doesn't really matter. But it's money that transfers from one account to another, and it's it's legit. You can do that. You could do it out of the company, but that's a payment to you. Then you pay ta- You may pay taxes on that. You're going to eventually pay taxes on it anyway, but, but you have to make sure you're taking out tax money for that. This guy's going really slow, dude. I'm already almost late. Come on. Why do they go so slow? It's not even snowing. It's 43 degrees, a little rainy. He's going 40. It's 65. Oh, well. It's almost Christmas. Merry Christmas, buddy. <laughs> I don't care. Maybe he'll turn. Please turn. Yes, he's turning. Yay. Um, so the limited liability portion of both of those organizations is why I would still continue to keep it going that way. I wouldn't mess around. I wouldn't do it individually. Even though professional liability-wise, you're probably covered with your malpractice policy. But just imagine if there's not, if it's if there's a blip there. And and it attaches to you personally. The limited liability company, you might be able to shield yourself a little bit more even with that because if you are an LLC and you are operating as an agent of the LLC, yeah, you're still personally liable. I'm just running through the exercise of my brain. You're still screwed on that. But if it's non-malpractice issue, you're probably, uh, you're covered. You're going to protect yourself. They can get to the assets in the company, so you never leave a huge amount of cash in your company unless you're going to be using it to buy something. You want to get it out of the company. That's the whole point. Because if you have 200, 300 grand sitting in a company account and there's no reason to have it sitting there, you get that money out. I mean, even if you put it in your personal bank account, call it, you know, a payment to yourself and pay taxes on it, you're going to pay taxes at the end of the year anyways. So the only reason you leave it in there is if you're going to buy something. So that's that's kind of where I'm going. So I hope I answered your questions. I, I, I can't give you a lot of great information because you really got to go to your state. That goes for everybody. You really should know what your state requires. If you're going to open up a company and you're going to do it, then you really need to know what your state's going to do to you tax-wise. My state's easy. They, it's super easy in Ohio. It's really pretty conducive to LLCs, small companies. And I fall under the threshold for everything anyway. So it's I don't make any that much money in my personal companies. So not a big deal. But um, California's wonky. Whenever you get in the, 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 the extremes of the country, you know, not the breadbasket, you get weird rules. And you just can't count on it. And they keep changing them. It's weirder, weirder and weirder every year. So... I don't know. What else we want to talk about? I had another one I was going to do, and I can't remember what it was. What was it? I don't know. Let me pause and think about it. Oh, yeah. I remember now. I had to think about it for a second. Um, I keep seeing people say this wrong, and it bugs me. It does. I don't mean it to, but it just bugs me. And it's, a, it's, and it's done on purpose by the media to conjure up um, one side versus another. And I mean, like, you know, politically. And it happens to be when people say, oh, I'm in, an, in a right-to-work state, so my contract isn't enforceable. And I want to smack people. Because right-to-work has nothing to do with your employment contract. False. Doesn't have anything to do with it. Right-to-work has to do with unions. And there is contracts for employment through unions and that kind of stuff, I understand. And I think that's probably where some miscommunication comes from. But right to work, all it means is that the the state says that if you don't want to join a union, you don't have to. 
They can't force you to do it. Now, you could not work in a company that's unioned. They say, if you want to work here, you have to work, you have to do that. You have to join the union. That's okay. But the, the point is, is that with right to work, it's mandatory everywhere. You know, it's you just, just, it's, it's stupid. It doesn't have anything to do with anything. It's a misnomer in my opinion, because everywhere you go, and I never understood why this right to work was such a big deal. Because if I don't want to work for a company that's union, don't work there. I just don't go, I'm going to work here. I want to write work. Oh, bullshit. Whatever. Right? So that's the whole idea is that it's, it just precludes the employers from being able to force you into the union. Now, where I live, they say it's right to work, but I know hospitals that are union and they say you have to join the union, pay your union dues or we won't hire you. And they can discriminate based upon that if you're not willing to hire join into the union. That's, that's okay in Ohio. Some other states, maybe not so much, but in Ohio, you're allowed to do that. Um, but I see people say, oh, is this provision of my contract enforceable because it's a right-to-work state? Yes, it's probably enforceable. <laughs> There's probably consequences for you. There's not a state in the union that says contracts for employment are illegal and unenforceable. They're enforceable everywhere. And I'm tired of hearing people say that, that non-competes are not enforceable. They usually are. You guys are getting horrible advice on Facebook from people that are saying, oh, don't worry about it. Just sign it because that non-compete's not enforceable. Somebody got a letter from their previous employer that they, they had a non-compete of, you know, I don't know, so many miles and so much time. And they went and got a job within the time, within the miles, doing a competing in, competing industry. And they got a letter from their previous employer that said, stop doing that. I, we, you know, that we're serious about this. What do you do? Well, you go get your lawyer, but you're kind of screwed. You're kind of screwed. I don't care what state in the union you are. I mean, you're going to have to go through litigation. It's going to be expensive for you. And everybody's like, oh, don't worry about it. When you sue, you know, you'll get out of it. We got to sue you, ding-dongs. How much do you think it costs to go through a lawsuit just for you to stay working? You're going to spend half of your annual salary dicking around with a lawsuit. I don't think people understand that. It's going to be a lot of money, and it's going to take two or three years. And in the meantime, you know what the judge is probably going to do? They're going to probably give an injunction that says that, yeah, well, until we figure this out, you can't work there. So now you're going to have an injunction that says you can't work there, and you're, and you're, and you're going to be out of work, and then you're going to pay an attorney to fight this thing for two years. It's not going to bode well for most people. Now, you might be able to to get an opinion from your lawyer and read your contract and say maybe in this area it's found to be oppressive and here's this case law and they show it to their attorneys and they say yeah we're probably going to lose if we go to court but they're going to have to sue us how invested are you in this is this just puffery or do you really want to fight this thing and so I you know I think that's that's still an expensive and bad choice the best, the best defense for this is a good offense you make it so limited in scope that you don't really care and if it's a general family practice, you make the, the, the radius small and the time short. Like, I won't compete for three to six months, somewhere in there. And it's only for two miles or three miles. And, and you may not get that. So you might have to go work in Durham for a couple of years until you figure out what you're doing with family practice or whatever. I mean, it just it depends on the situation. But uh, it's horrible advice when people say, no, don't worry about it. No, you, 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 when you sue, you'll win. <laughs> okay, good luck with that. Let me know how that goes out for you. Let me let me know how much that costs you. You're going to spend more money. 
you might as well just not work for six months, enjoy your time with your family, and just say, all right, fine, I'll just work in six months. Problem is, you probably lose that job. That job, somebody, they're going to find somebody else. They don't have time to wait for you. The other option is, is you get your, your future employer to buy out your contract. To buy you out of it. Jeez, oh, Pete guy. Camaro guy. Take a really wide right turn. Nice car. Um, but that would be another option is have your, you know, potential future employer, you tell them, look, I got a one year non-compete. I want to work for you. I really do. But we got to figure out a way to make this happen. So when I go to my employer, is it, would you be willing to try to help buy them out of this so that, you know, maybe it makes it worth their while that they make, you know, five grand off of this just to release me from my contract. I'm really not competition anyways. You know, I'm not going to be stealing a ton of their patients or whatever. It just depends. Maybe you will. Maybe they're going to lose a ton of patience. Maybe it's going to hurt them. I don't know. You have to assess that and value it. What that? What is that value? If you take five percent of their patients, what's that value to them for a year until they can ramp back up and get five more, five percent more new patients? Maybe they can't get five more percent of patients. Maybe they've capped out. They're seeing everybody in town already. I don't know. So it's, it's a hard one, right? I mean, you can you can make it really detrimental for somebody. They may have a really good reason for a non-compete. In my opinion, and I've talked about this before, this is my opinion, I think non-competes are crap. And not because they're oppressive to people, because I think that if you're willing to contract with somebody and take that on as a contract, that's between you and that other person. You could contract for a 100-mile radius for 10 years. That's between you and that other person. If you're bad at contracting and stupid enough to sign that deal, you kind of get what you deserve. But my opinion is, is if I were an employer, I wouldn't necessarily want a non-compete. I want people to be feel like, you know what, we're such a good employer and good place to work that I don't need to worry about it. You're going to want to work here anyways. I got people all over the, the, the county that want to work for me because this is the place to be. We give good care. We do a great job. We, you know, we love what we do. We, we take good care of our patients. They like us. We like them. Everything's great. We pay well. We have good benefits, good work-life balance, whatever, right? I don't need it. I don't need to not compete. The other guys out there need to not compete because you're going to run. That's a way to keep you stuck there. I don't want to keep you stuck here. I want you to be here. I want you to want to be here. Not need to be here because of your non-compete. To me, I think that's a better sales pitch to a, to a potential, you know, the, the, brightest, the brightest and the and the bravest out there kicking ass as, as practitioners. That's what I would want. I really would. So non-competes never made sense to me. Just from a business standpoint, I mean, I kind of under, you know, I understand the theory and all the principles and the legal and our, you know the, the pitfalls and things like that. But if you're doing what you're doing and people like you and you're doing a good job, your clients aren't going to leave you. They're going to stick with you. Now they may like this other individual, but they, they should like you more. And that means that you have to stay involved in your practice. You can't just back out. I worked for an engineer one time. That um, it was two two guys. They were partners. One was like, you know, in his 50s, and then the other guy was in his, you know, 30s, late 30s, at the time, anyways. And uh, still buddies with the one guy, the younger guy. And uh, actually, ended up hiring that guy <laughs> away from that company. That was kind of a fun story. Talk about that someday. And um, so I, I hired my old boss, the owner of the company. I was in a new company, and I said, hey, I need some help with something. And I hired my old company to help us. And in the process, just ended up working out a deal and said, all right, let's just get you here, you know, and uh, make that happen. So I hired him away from his other partner. How funny is that? So the other guy doesn't like me anymore. Oh, well. The, um, 
that company though, what was funny was, um, and one of the reasons I wasn't really invested in the organization was one of the owners was non-existent. He didn't do anything. He just took a paycheck. He had no investment. So all the clients, who do you think they wanted to go with? They want to go with the guy that's never around or they want to go with the guy that, that does a good job. So yeah, I could see a non-compete in that situation being valuable. So you have to stay current. You have to stay stay available. You can't just ditch. So I'm rambling. That's okay. I'm having fun. I'm exhausted. I'm like four hours of sleep again. So it's not the best show, so I apologize. But I hope I cleared some things up about the S Corp and why you still would want to have a company. And, and um, you know, if you guys have questions, you have more uh, more issues about company structures, please please don't hesitate. Email me, jeff at thenpdude.com. Don't forget to use the uh, iTunes like or uh, share button or what do you call it? Ratings. Thank you. I'm exhausted. Don't forget to give a rating. On the iTunes, Facebook, ratings are great too. Keep sharing the show, guys. You guys are doing a fantastic job. And uh, you guys, I won't be uh, having another show before Christmas, so have a safe and happy Christmas. I want you guys to keep kicking ass and doing what you're doing. Keep sharing the show. Keep spreading the word. And we'll talk soon.